Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is focused on Regeneron's approach to strategic collaborations, licensing, and business development from the 2022 Amino Oncology 360 Summit. For more information about the Amino Oncology 360 Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit io360summit.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Thank you for uh, coming in. I'd also add that I spend about 80% of my time at Portage Biotech, which is a very cool, innovative uh, I.O. company, uh, and certainly just want to call that out. Uh, it's great, great to be here, and uh, great to have New Hat here. And I, I think given the nature of the capital markets these days, I think there's a further and further emphasis on uh, BD and strategic collaborations. And I, I think just to ground out, everybody I think views Regeneron these days is arguably the envy of the industry in terms of how you guys have evolved and developed. Uh, but it's important to call out and give you a context of the journey that they're on, because I think the journey really provides relevancy to the perspective of Regeneron. And I think there's probably a little bit of an element there that rep- uh, relates to everybody, depending on where you are in the spectrum of life science companies. You know, t- 20 years after the company was uh, launched, you know, their share price was $5 a share and uh, $300 million market cap below that. Just to give you context today, uh, I've had to keep changing the numbers since I made my prepared comments, but uh, the, the stock is, continues to rise. It's about $680 a share right now versus the five and has a market cap north of $70 billion. So suffice to say, Regeneron has seen it and done it and has a real great level of perspective um, and really think today's conversation will be enlightening. Unfortunately, we only got 20 minutes to do this, so it's gonna, we're going to try to cover this as efficiently as possible, and certainly, while we have a long list of questions that we can go over ourselves, certainly encourage everybody's participation if you have any questions, and we'll be happy to take them on board. Um, with, with that said, let's get going. Um, you know, given your groups, how does your group translate the strategic priorities of the company into, you know, your overall approach to strategic collaborations? Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for having me here to the sponsors and Alan for uh, hosting this. This is great. Uh, as Alan said, I'd love for this to be conversational. I don't want to just sit here and tell the long history of Regeneron, which I could do if we wanted to. <laughs> um, but my goal really is just to help you guys understand kind of how we think about things, which I think is quite different, and maybe the, the why, how did we end up in this place, some of that context. Um, but again, welcome questions as we go here. Uh, so anyway, to, to your first question there, Alan, I guess, how do we think about strategy? How does it translate into kind of the deals that we do? I mean, the first thing I would say, I mean, one of the interesting things when we sit down and have, you know, business development conversations with whoever, whether it's bankers, VCs, small companies, and we get the question of, um, what are your core therapeutic areas? You know, where are your main areas of focus? The answer is all of them, you know, and, and it's, it, it's an interesting um, you know, intentional strategy for Regeneron to be completely therapeutic area agnostic. And this this kind of motto that we have, you know, a lot of people use this motto, but I think Regeneron really embodies this and, and 
puts it into practice and kind of how we operate, you know, follow the science. You know, so what do I mean by that? You know, if you just kind of look at the long, long history of Regeneron, if you guys, you know, know this history, started off as a company working on neurotrophic factors. That didn't work out, pivoted to traps, new kind of biologics with VEGF trap that became ILEA. Now it's into antibodies. Now we're moving into new directions in cell and gene therapy and other modalities. You know, we ended up in cardiovascular disease with Praluent. Obviously, we played a big role in, you know, COVID. We play a big role in treating asthma, inflammation, retina disease. So we didn't start off with that base strategy of we want to be at place X. Let's figure out how we get there. We really look at it from the bottoms up of what do we have? What are, where do we have a competitive advantage? What technologies do we have where we can collaborate with others? You know, the... the you know, cliche one plus one equals three. I mean, that's kind of how we try to look at it. Um, but that's the place I would start. It's just kind of this really deeply ingrained notion of opportunism, being agnostic to where we're going, just really looking for that kind of next innovative technology. Thank you. Just drilling down on that a little bit, how does those, the, that, that process of following the science lead you to, you know, what I would characterize as enabling technology transactions, such as the Bluebird transaction, the re- relatively recent Al Nylum, or even the Intellia? Yeah. No, good question. Um, so, again, since we got 15 minutes, I mean, the, the big story. So, I, I joined Regeneron about 10 years ago. Uh, and when I showed up at the time, uh, ILEA was just getting ready to launch. I think the market cap of the company was, you know, $5 billion, something like that. We had our, we had our collaboration with Sanofi that was, you know, fairly early on in its, you know, life cycle, maybe three, four years into that. And there really, at the time, was not a impetus for any sort of partnering in licensing or out licensing. We had, we had a great partner with Bayer. We had our great partner with Sanofi. And we had more than enough stomach coming from our internal you know, pipeline and discovery. So there was really limited activity and appetite to you know, look outside. You know, and so to your question, you know, about five years ago or so, as the company started to mature from a resource and just a capability perspective, we started asking ourselves this question of you know, what else can we be doing through collaborations? And that was kind of where we started. It was really looking internally, thinking about what is it that Regeneron has? What do we do exceptionally well that could bring value to a collaboration. So you named a couple. So for example, um, Bluebird, right? And in the cell therapy space and Adiset, our other partner in the cell therapy space. Where that came from was really looking at efforts we were doing in-house around discovering novel antibodies, targeting intracellular antigens, peptides in MHC with antibodies, discovering fully human TCRs, really trying to do cutting edge kind of discovery for novel antigen binders that you know, we were doing for the primary reason of we wanted to turn those into drugs, buy specific antibodies, ADCs, things of this nature. But it was apparent to us that there's a huge world of opportunity to apply those technologies and the animal models that we were building in the cell therapy space. So that was kind of a natural, it was a really interesting uh, dialogue because in some ways as the big company from a market cap or resource perspective, you know, when we sit down with Bluebird, in some ways we were kind of selling to them. You know, we were pitching to them 
time, I remember the, the meetings, it was like, look at all this cool technology and stuff that we can offer you. And it was like, hey, you should partner with us, not because we have the deepest pockets, because we can, you know, find, you know certainly that's part of it, but a big part of the, the, the pitch and the attraction, I think, for Bluebird, the same is true, I think, for Intellia, uh, for Al Nylum, where a lot of what we brought to the table there, for example, was some of the human genetics research that we're doing and some of the novel target discovery. That, of course, is really attractive for companies that can knock down genes, edit the genome to have kind of novel insights around new targets. So anyway, the point is a lot of that, those early deals were oriented towards how do we take some of the stuff we're already doing for our own purposes, marry that with this great new technology and these companies in these new fields where we didn't have capabilities or expertise and create these collaborations. Um, you know, so we're about five years or so into that, you know, experiment. And I'd say the jury's definitely still out. It's too, no, you know, who knows how it's going to work out, but early returns are good. I think what we've been seeing from Intellia has been really exciting. Um, Adaset had some recent data that was really, really exciting with their Gamma Delta platform, for example. Um, we got a lot of exciting things going on with Bluebird. So I think there's, um, you know, a lot of uh, looking back, I think it's been a success so far and we're looking to do more of it. Oh, th th thanks for that. And I think it's really enlightening how the evolution of your BD strategy has evolved from what it was really focusing on your core technology platform to where you built that. And really, I think the takeaways here are really understand what your strengths are and understand where your weaknesses are, or, in, or maybe not weaknesses, but gaps in terms of how you can enable your technology and, and maximize its value. Uh, and I think in the environment that we're in right now, I think that's really important to kind of be in touch with your masculine side and feminine side, knowing what you can do well and what you need help with. And I think the shortest distance between two points is a shortcut. Um, with, with, that, with that said, how are you guys thinking about, notwithstanding your agnostic therapeutic approach, to growing your I.O. franchise and, and building that one out? Yeah. So, you know, having said everything I just said about how we've historically thought about collaborations and the, and the ones we've put in place, I mean, the company continues to evolve, of course, as we're growing, as we've gotten more products approved, as the pipeline is maturing, as the financial resources grow. And so that next kind of leg of evolution for the business development and the strategy, just generally, we're starting to be more in the mindset of, you know, the big pharma approach to let's acquire great assets to plug into our portfolio because we have this great development capability, this commercial presence, we have very interesting novel combinations and there's synergies there. You know, that's new for Regeneron, right? And so my life before Regeneron, I came from Genentech, I was doing business development there, and that was the game plan. You know, how do we build, you know, we had a playbook, we want these targets, these molecules, we mean this phase two and this indication, build, you know, fill the gap, build the portfolio. And so it, it's new, we're starting slowly to kind of take that mentality, which is interesting because it's, it's a you know, 30 years of hearts and minds, you know, and culture that you're kind of changing at Regeneron of starting to think about, you know, when and how does it make sense for Regeneron to bring in a clinical stage asset, for example. Uh, and in IO specifically, I would say that's one area where it's kind of the most obvious place for us to consider doing that. And the logic there for us, at least, and we'll see how smart we are in hindsight, but the logic is we have this enormous portfolio of, um, of antibodies, bispecifics. You know, if you look at it in totality, it, you know, it probably rivals or eclipses, you know, in its breadth, um, probably any company in the industry, really, if you think about just the number of targets and modalities that we're working on. 
Um, so the hope and the dream is that we can find really interesting, rational, novel ways to combine these uh, antibody modalities with some new modalities that are emerging. So you've seen us recently uh, do a deal with an oncolytic virus company called Viriad. We did a deal with a cancer vaccine company called Vaxabody, now Nicode. And again, the, the theory there, um, it harkens back a little bit to what I was saying about leveraging some of our um, just core scientific capabilities target discovery, animal models, deep immunology. You know, we can help develop some of these modalities by themselves. But now even more than, than that, the thinking is there's opportunities for combinations, whether it's with PD-1 or with LAG-3 or some of our COSTIM antibodies. So this is motivating a lot of our thinking now and looking for those kind of very interesting, you know, mechanistically synergistic uh, combinations. So I think what you'll see us do, you know, maybe this year or the next couple of years, you know, you'll see us in license. A, a clinical stage program. You'll see us maybe acquire a company to get access to a portfolio of interesting, um, you know, clinical stage programs. I mean, we'll see. But that, that's a new horizon and frontier for us. But uh, it makes a lot of sense, and I think that's the direction we're headed. It sounds like uh, exciting times. More, more, more to come. Uh, in terms of maximizing your product value, how do you guys think about it from a geographical perspective? And and, uh, and I'd contrast it perhaps relative to today and yesterday today and how you're looking at it going forward. No, it's a really interesting question. I mean, so for those of you who don't know, I mean, our headquarters is, I don't know, 30, 40 miles north of here in, in Terrytown. Um, and Regeneron is a very much, at least, you know, it, it is, I mean, a very U.S.-centric company from an operational, from a culture, just a mentality, our presence. We have a, a growing and fairly large operation in Ireland that's really much, you know, focused on large-scale biologic manufacturing. And we're now very slowly starting to build Build, you know, capabilities in clinical operations and regulatory, um, you know, back-end commercial presence to support some of the products in Western Europe, for example, so that we're kind of, you know, dipping our toes and slowly moving into some of those Western European markets. And the reason, you know, that we've been kind of slow to do that, or maybe slower than some of our other peers have been historically, is we've just been fortunate that we've had great partners for some of our, um, you know, more advanced products. So Bayer's our partner for ILEA, and they've done a tremendous job globally with that product. Uh, Sanofi is our partner for Dupixent and some of our other antibodies, Liptio globally, and they're doing a fantastic job there. So it was kind of, you know, why do we need to build this capability? Um, but certainly that's a natural leg of growth as we bring forward some of our wholly owned antibodies and we're getting, how do we maximize the value? To your point, you know, there's patients there that need these drugs. Um, so we're doing that and we're taking the steps to start to build, uh, you know, in Western Europe initially. And we'll see where we go beyond that. But I expect, you know, in the next three, five years, we'll still look to partnerships in some of the other geographies. You saw us partner with Xilab, for example, in China, um, you know, bringing stuff forward in the Japanese market. We probably will continue to work up with partners in, in some of these territories. But increasingly, I think Regeneron's longer term vision is to be a, a real, truly global, you know, commercial presence with, you know, uh, world class operations and all these key markets. Make, make, makes a lot, lot of sense, uh, for, for sure. Um, you touched on it before that you've got an abundance uh, of assets, which is kind of a high-class problem to have. How are you thinking about, you know, unlocking the value in those assets, uh, given that there's only so much you can do internally in terms of spinning off, partnering, com you know, company formation? Yeah, I mean, I think that's right, and it is a high-class problem. I mean, so 
the productivity and it's kind of just a function of the platform that we're you know have built over the last you know 10 20 years and the throughput of the ability to kind of you know discover characterize manufacture and you saw this put into practice with the regen cove program and just the rapid response and just how fast we can mobilize you know on so on the discovery front there is a enormous number of programs it's, i think the last time i saw the count was like 312 or something, you know, discrete antibody targets that we're moving through the funnel and it's a funnel, you know, and we, we can probably file, I don't know, 10 INDs a year, you know, if we really roll up our sleeves. So there is a lot of, you know, stuff and in interesting science and biology. And, that, and that's a great question. You know, what do we do with these, these assets that you know, not all of them have value, of course, right? Um, but some of them do, and they may be going slower than they otherwise would. And how do we think about that? Uh, it's and so we've had a lot of discussions with um, with venture back companies with financial groups. We're trying to be creative because our, our mission and, and you, you talk to the, the scientists who are developing these assets. Like, how do we get these to patients? I mean, that really is the driving motivation for this. We're not going to make a lot of money probably selling off some preclinical asset. You know, a couple million bucks, a small little royalty. You know, that if we don't do that, Regeneron's business will be just fine. You know, mm -hmm. but it, it, it's just kind of like it's the right thing to do because we've got these interesting programs. So it is, it is something that uh, myself and our team in business development are trying to find creative ways to find home for some of these things. Um, so it's, it's a good problem to have. Very, very high class problem. Yeah. And uh, look forward to following uh, how, you, how you address it. <laughs> um, how does the current capital market backdrop and outlook influence your group's activities these days? Does it change anything? Uh, I mean, I would say not yet. You know, I think there's there's this, you know, it's easy to look at what's going on and you hear this all the time. I hear this all the time of even from our board or others, you know, look at the markets, you know, time to go shopping. Everything's on sale. You know, it's like, well, let's cool it. You know, it's like, yes, that's true for now. But I don't know that investors and the boards are really kind of throwing up their hands and capitulating and saying, that's it. Let's just sell at current prices. You know, if this is sustained for another, I don't know how long, six months, nine months, 12 months. OK, then you're in a different. I think environment where it's you can really start you know being opportunistic and seeing things trade at these discounted valuations my you know early sense from dealing with folks in this, you know, people that have depressed valuations is, look, I, I ain't selling for cheap now. You know, things could turn around. I've got good data coming. Like, why sell now? I don't need to. So for the moment, I'm not seeing the valuations translate to like, you know, flurry of activity. But later this year, if we're in the same place where we are now, which, you know, maybe we will be, I don't know. Maybe Brad can let us know if that's where we're going to be. <laughs> um, you know, then, then I think you'll start to see uh, a real change in kind of uh, volume of activity. Nah, I get it. I think people are still looking in their rearview mirrors right now, and uh, they still think they have time on the clock, I think, when... Uh I mean, but I, I will say, I mean, just contrasting to the boom years, right? I mean, there, there was there's a noticeable difference in tone, I would say, when we were talking to you know, potential partners. And again, like I was characterizing before, us kind of pitching them, hey, this is why you should work with us. This is why you should hit your wagon to Regeneron and partner with us. You know, the, there was a, a very strong palpable sense of like, yeah, maybe, but I could also just go to the markets and raise $500 million tomorrow. And so I have this really good alternative and I don't need you guys. You know, so th th that was a very palpable sense and people had a very real alternative to partnering. So I'm not seeing that as much. And you're kind of hearing that in the tone and it's obvious that they, they can't just go raise money. So it's not desperation, but it's also not this sense of like, you know, I can do whatever I want. I don't need you. 
Yeah, I think it really speaks to where, uh, where the industry has to focus on, and that's resource allocation and prioritization, going back to knowing what your strengths are and weaknesses are and not recreating the wheel. You don't have that luxury anymore that uh, people thought, thought of. Um, we've only got a minute left, so I'm not sure if the, my next question, you will have enough time to give it justice. That went fast. <laughs> uh, what, what are the key considerations in determining and evaluating partner characteristics? Uh, I mean, I would say maybe two things, and again, this is not, may not be that insightful, but this is legitimately how we kind of look at it and think about it. One is, you know, just that opportunity for the technical, you know, synergy. Is it obvious that, you know, the technologies can work together? Do we bring something special to the party that the other party values and vice versa, right? It's got to start with that. It can't just be, we're the, we're the you know, the, the financial patron, you know, we're the big brother here to finance your work. We're not interested in that. We're interested in true scientific collaboration where there's exchange of technologies, exchange of ideas. And then the second piece, I think the only way to do that is kind of a philosophical alignment and a cultural alignment. And so what I mean by that is Regeneron, you know, because of its history, I'd say in a lot of ways, and because of our founders who still run the company, it's so deeply ingrained. Um, it's the long-term view in mind. We don't care about product number one. We don't really care about product number two. It's the 10, 15 products that we're gonna make together that's gonna change the world. There's really that mentality. And sometimes you meet companies that their investors is, no, no, it's product number one. Let's get product number one across into the clinic. That's the IND, all resources must go there. And then that's where the value inflection is. And that's where you sometimes run into some conflict of thinking. So that kind of intersection and you know, philosophical alignment is critical for us. Uh, that's awesome. We're clearly out of time. I think we're in injury time now. So uh, it's, it's been great. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. Pleasure. Thank you, Jennifer. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Amino Oncology 360 Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit io360summit.com. Thank you.